Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, August 2nd, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Not too bad, not too bad, but also not a whole lot to comment on. It did occur to me sometime this week, I haven't had a Frisbee update in a minute, so how are the Rush doing? Season's over. Ah, we how did, uh... <laughs> did the Rush do? Uh, we finished season five and seven. Okay. So feels a little bit inflated uh, with the strength of schedule that we had this year. Uh, went three and zero against Montreal. Hmm. Beat uh, a Detroit Mechanics team that hasn't won now in seventy straight games. Okay. And uh, and then the our best win of the season was over the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds, who also did not make the playoffs. So. Yeah, lost against the the stronger teams in our division. We had a close one against Philadelphia to end the season, but uh, we are out as of about a week and a half ago now. Really, really fun season and lots to learn and improve upon. Um, and I'm just happy I got the opportunity and looking forward to trying to grind my, bag, my way back onto the roster for next year. Now I look ahead to Canadian ultimate championships in uh just two i fly in two weeks to british columbia um to play uh with against uh 16 of the top men's teams in canada so gearing up for that and then the the frisbee summer will be done and we're into the off season where it's just more training uh but i won't bore you with that when we get to that point (laughs) Well, off-season more training means like you start draw- drawing up the coaching plans, I imagine. Mm. what oh, yeah. I, I was trying to think of some sort of like motivational disc never stops spinning. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, disc doesn't stop spinning all year round. And the commitment I have to a number of different clumps and people uh, doesn't stop either. So lots to do in the fall on the coaching side of things um in addition to having to focus on myself and my improvement and my training because i want to do a little bit of extra investment on the athleticism performance side but yeah again won't bore you with the details because we are here to talk sports and sorts on this fine august evening i have been enjoying the longer leash during the summer and i think i'm gonna take advantage of that here oh boy despite i'm gonna try not to at the same time because this one goes way too deep to be honest i didn't have anything in my back pocket for this week i haven't been on twitter then about an hour and a half ago i remembered some headlines i was reading two weeks roughly back decided to look into them and went down the rabbit hole of the covid lab leak owen So here we go. Um, As you probably know, the Republicans in the United States control a pretty important body of government, the House, and have been using that powers to investigate and do public committees on a bunch of things, some of which probably very uninteresting and unuseful. COVID origins, I think, more on the useful side. 
So in early July, they had some hearings on that. Of course, there's a whole vilification project of Dr. Anthony Fauci that is mostly irrelevant to this and we won't delve into. All that to say, it was in the public attention and through some events, I'm not quite sure, but I think are irrelevant because the veracity of the documents hasn't been argued anywhere I've seen. Some anti-establishment journalists got their hands on a bunch of internal Slack memos and emails from scientists who kind of published the paper stating that COVID almost certainly wasn't a lab leak and was almost definitely of animal origins. I don't know if what your experience with like those two polls pushing back and forth has been oh but like my recollection is in the first year being told quite consistently it was definitely camping from animals and it's only more recently it's gone back to that 50 50 gray zone we may never know what happens uh i don't know if all of this is coming out of the blue to you or like it's sort of somewhere in the peripheral yeah i uh i honestly know or I've heard more about aliens this week than yes. COVID lab leaks. Yeah, it's more just the sentiment changed over the last few months. It's certainly not the hot button of the week issue. Um, but the reason in that first year is largely one paper that was published in the NIH, uh, originally in a different magazine by like four or five of the top virologists in the world, stating pretty definitively like it is very unprobable that COVID came from a lab leak. This despite being that there was a like medicine institute researching the exact type of things of COVID in the city where COVID originated, which leads even like the least conspiracy minded of all of us to wonder. Um, so it was the Slack chats and the emails of these journalists as they were publishing this paper and after the publishing of the paper that we're going to focus on today. Um, so as I said, even the least conspiratorial minded would wonder. And in January and very early February, that was very much on all of these scientists' minds. The document in question is 140 pages of PDF, and I have not read through all of it. I'm going off of excerpts of the people who have published that I've skimmed through the documents to confirm and make sure aren't out of context. We'll get to the question of context more towards the end here. Um, but at the start, they're saying, we don't know, seems pretty likely. That's kind of what they were studying, and we can't tell. Then there's this shift where they start bemoaning the fact that they can't quite uh, definitively 100% use language to say, we don't want this. And this is once the paper's taking form, like getting put forward for peer review. And they're kind of bemoaning, I wish I could say that stronger that COVID, that COVID came from an animal and 100% wasn't a lab leak. So how can we word this in a way that makes it like no one asks questions and that's something the paper which i'll link to for once in the show notes uh speculates on what happened to cause this which is less interesting to me more interesting is just the motivations discussions of the scientists in question and as i said like that mostly seems to have been to twist and present the facts in as strong a manner as possible to dismiss 
lab leak and encourage um, animal transmission. I'm not a scientist. You're not a scientist. It's hard to analyze the strength of the arguments when the buzzwords start going in, but a lot easier to analyze some of the things uh, they're saying and like the red flags that come out. The really big one for me comes when a New York Times reporter um, starts emailing these scientists as the papers in question, and they start discussing in the Slack channel, how should we be responding to these scientists? Um, the really, really frustrating one uh, I've known Don or two. I've known Don for thirty years. First time I worked, made the front page of New York Times. Very smart man. Don't quite know where he's going to go with this. Uh, it would be prudent to continue to prethink responses, which like little conspiracy ish, not like let's not step on our own feet here and say something wrong but like mm -hmm. why are you kind of organizing as a group and like making sure you're all on the same page it's the next one that gets really gets me out okay here's what i'm thinking this is playing on his previous emails and includes humor to deflect the fact that i'm dismissing him so yes the smiley face is very deliberate can't ignore him and can't just give him the scientific story that would only lead to follow-up question. I'm hoping that by including extremely busy, I'll also be able to deflect requests for call and also gives me a get out of jail card for ignoring a potential request. That This sounds like the thought process put down in a Slack of every person who's ever worked at a job ever. <laughs> Yeah. And depending what that job is, there's a level of non-surprisal around this. But when that job is representing scientific consensus and putting out a paper uh, that is going to be heavily, heavily referenced um, for an institution who kind of needs to operate on public trust is where this shit really starts to get me. So the paper in question on altmetric, which like you can get to from the paper site and tell you a bit about the source. It says it's in the top 5% of all research outputs scored by altmetric. 800 news outlets have reviewed it and almost 4,000 different papers have cited it. Um, the last thing I'll say about this, though, because I don't want to turn into the whole podcast, uh, is following the publishing of the first paper is actually what led to all of the slack uh emails being published one of the lead researchers said so what is all of the things published scientists doing scientists um i was saying to you before there's no way i'm gonna get all the way through this rabbit hole but this entire slack channel is like teaming with them trying to figure out how to present the information in the way they most want it interpreted while privately discussing how this feels really 50-50 to them. They don't know. It totally could. They wish they had more confidence in what they were saying and knew it was more true. But you can infer from it that they feel they're serving some sort of greater good in doing so and that like this is what the people need to believe so this is how we need to present the information 
rather than presenting the information as you can see it's understood by them in their private messages it's been like a discussed fact of like how political the vaccination and the belief and responses to covid is at this point three years removed and it's because on that one side of politics so many people feel this is the sort of shit going on and this sort of thing just confirms all those fears i believe oh so would you call this attempt to lead people to the conclusion with the scientists best that the scientists believe the public is best served by believing stupidly terrible or terribly stupid you can also call my framing of that one or the other because like i said i think that was the hardest presentation i've had to do so far yeah ah, i mean i'm not a scientist i know a scientist uh <laughs> you think of it holistically the fact that like it, it it's not known, but it's known that we probably have all sorts of crazy diseases that are being worked on in a lab. And the way that they're trying to frame it, I'd say, is stupidly terrible. Wouldn't call it stupid. I don't think they're stupid people. There's just a little bit more malintent or... Uh, selective editing or redacting of information. So I think it's it, it leans to more towards the the terrible line of thinking here in our in our Stortz presentation. Thank you, thank you. And with that, on the sports, though, what do you got first? Yeah, I struggled to figure out where we wanted to start here, but just with our bread and butter being in the basketball world i had to turn my focus towards one of the larger international basketball tournaments happening not only uh of course the importance of qualifying for the olympics but this is probably the best canadian team with the highest hopes since 1936 when mm. they won a silver medal in the inaugural uh fiba world cup or was it the Olympic basketball being in the Olympics? So, like, I don't think this Canadian team is going to medal in either FIBA World Cup or the Olympics. I think the style of international basketball we are still young to as a team. Our NBA superstars are young and haven't had to play this sort of system, right? Uh, I also watched the Dream Team documentary recently, or Redeem Team documentary recently, where uh, those guys struggled to win in 2004, 2008, uh, or 2006, sorry, because they just, it, it's not like the NBA. And mm -hmm. the depth and talent worldwide has increased so vastly. So really mm -hmm. the goal for this Canadian team is to qualify for the Olympics. That means they have to finish top two out of any of the teams from the Americas, so North, Central, South America. I think that's a reasonable goal, but I think they're in tough here in a group with Latvia, Lebanon, and France trying to mm -hmm. finish in those top two spots to even get out of round one. 
So really, really stoked for that to start it's on everyone, August eh? 25th. Like uh, Wiggins, Murray, Gilgis Alexander. No Wiggins. Okay. He continues to evade international service. Uh, but going through it, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, RJ Barrett, O'Shea Brissett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, Shea Gilgis, Corey Joe, Jamal Murray, Kelly Olynyk, and Dwight Powell are kind of the the highlight NBAers mm-hmm. on this squad. You also got Zach Eady out of Purdue, who I love as an international player because of his size. When you have that offensive interference rule, he can protect the rim at a higher level than maybe some of these guys because he can just crowd the paint and and mash with some of these bigger centers that have more of an impact in international basketball. And do you think with this rise in talent we're seeing in Canada and as you noted around the world, like the magnitude of this event is going to increase? Because I got to be honest, this totally. hasn't been on my radar. Uh, I think it'll be it'll increase when it starts because this kind of feeds once this event ends there's probably three weeks before the season starts yeah so once this ends you're going right into training camp and so for a lot of these players competing this is the beginning of their season it's going to be a sprint from here and it's going to conclude obviously right after the nba finals will be the summer olympics where they'll have to play in the olympic tournament as well so a lot of basketball on the horizon for some of these guys and it starts here and I'm I'm really excited for it. It's going to be some quality quality basketball. What I'd really love to see for international basketball is something like the Summit Series that Canada and Russia played way back in the 70s between Team USA and Team Europe. Like I think that if I mean some of these guys before the fee by the time the feasibility would be there would be well passed like lebron steph kd the torch is definitely passing if not in the next couple of years but i'd love to see that like crop of american talent which as you referenced earlier talking about the dream team the redeem team has just dominated the basketball scene really for the last 30 something years go up against what I think has been like the strongest group of international players ever. Uh, like, can you imagine a roster that saw Jokic, Embiid, uh, Doncic, Giannis all on the same lineup going like that would be like what all-star is supposed to be, except you take all those European players away from the all-star event. That means nothing and put them in an event. They really actually care about you trample test question, the pride and ego of all those American players, put them through in a challenge that you actually don't know if you can win. And you make it a more than one game winner, take all series. And I think that is like the single most exciting thing that could be done in basketball. I don't see a way to do it to profit the NBA. I think it massively struggles with the Olympics and FIBA and the Euro Cup all existing. And I don't know how you balance those events and make it happen at the right time. But if I could have one wish granted by the basketball gods, it would be that event in the next four years. That would be sick. And I think the argument you make is that a lot of these European teams think they're good enough on their own that they can take on the U.S. So why pool all those players together? Yeah, yeah. I I think there would be a lengthy discussion about rules 
And I would favor a more NBA centric set of rules because no disrespect to the players who play internationally and they absolutely prove it at the Olympics at FIBA that under a different set of rules, it, it is a different game and they have a far better chance. But just in terms of top talent in both athleticism and skill, I still think the players I mentioned earlier are cut above and I'd favor a set of rules that let them shine the most and maybe in that vein um you'd be able to make it happen but there would i don't know what the catalyst is and i I think there's a lot of incentives for the nba ownership and board of government board of governors to not let it happen so i'm not like getting my hopes up it's just a pitch i've been wanting to present as some off-season topic in the dog days of summer honestly for like i think two years Oh, I love it. My amendment is if we have a year where the all-star game is split down the middle, just do it in the all-star game. You you have to make the players care. They might might if you slap their country on it. I I want multiple games. I want adjustments. I want Mm. tallying. I want the hype and tension that you get in a playoff series uh, to really make an event out of it. But I hear you. That's a far more realistic, feasible, and practical way to do it and could lead to something even bigger. So I certainly wouldn't be against seeing something like that at the All-Star. Okay. We'll keep our eyes on Team Canada as they ramp up here for the 2023 FIBA Basketball World Cup. Noted winner of this such event, Marc Gasol, 2019, after the Raptors won the title. It's my last wow. memory I have of this tournament. Mm-hmm. Double The double victory in one summer. What a time to be alive that was. All right, Max, we've talked basketball. Let's move here into tennis. That's right. We've had a bit of a break since Wimbledon. Not a lot of weighty events played in the month of July. The gear been shifting in the latter half of the months with a couple of 500 level events going almost full throttle the next two weeks as we'll have back-to-back Masters 1000s. The first one, of course, being the Canadian Masters 1000 event, the second highest level event in terms of ranking and points takes place simultaneously in montreal and toronto switching between the atp and wta tours each year this year wta in toronto one of my friends is actually going to be calling lines for it atp event happening in did i say toronto for wta i meant montreal an atp event happening in toronto And it's not perfect. It's not a Grand Slam level competition, but I would say next best thing, both on the men's and the women's side. So on the WTA, we've got that vaunted maybe big three in Iga Sviatek, Arnia Sabalenka, Alina Rybikina, all competing as of the time of this podcast, having Jessica Pagula, uh, Coco Goff also doesn't hurt. Wimbledon winner Marketa von Drusova and French Open finalist Caroline Muchova all standing out to me. On the men's side, unfortunately, no Novak Djokovic, as his mind is really just on Grand Slam tennis and this a level of competition he doesn't want to. Um, he likes to put his foot on the gas and slowly accelerate into those grand slams and the speed you need to go at for a Masters 1000 event uh, this far out, not something he wants to commit to. 
Nonetheless, Carlitos Alcaraz, world number one, will be competing for the second time. Daniel Medvedev, world number three, will be second seeded. Kasper Rudd, clay court specialist who's had some success or also U.S. Open finalists, so certainly had plenty of success on the outdoor hard court. Stefano Tsitsipas, Holger Rune, Andre Rublev, Yannick Sinner, Taylor Fritz, and Francis Tiafo, Karen Kachanov, Felix Oje Aliasim, Cameron Nori, Tommy Paul, Bornikoric, and Alex Zverev, who won in Hamburg last week, round out. That is the 17 top players in the world every single top player except novak djokovic competing so not too shabby a field at all on the men's side as i mentioned alex zverev winning in hamburg last week this week we've got the washington cincy open felix ojali asim already out uh francis tfo taylor fritz the two big names uh at the top and bottom of the draw chris eubanks another standout name Tsitsipas, tommy paul playing in mexico this week so a little bit of competition there to suss out the field and know where a couple people are at looking forward to getting some higher level tennis going again oh and looking forward to talking about it midway through the draw next week awesome let's flip into hockey here we're playing a little bit of tennis ourselves here on the podcast going back and forth uh one of the larger arbitration deals was reached before going to salary arbitration in the nhl troy terry and the anaheim ducks reaching a seven-year 49 million dollar deal the significance of this one just is potentially the largest ever gap in terms of arbitration submitted by team and player. Uh, I believe Anaheim went in at four and Troy Terry went in at eight. It's it's a pretty significant gap. And I guess Anaheim felt like they didn't have much leverage going into arbitration. They were willing to spend uh, on the higher side to get him locked up. They have plenty of cap space mm-hmm. right now being in the situation that they are in. And uh, it locks up a guy who scored a ton of goals at the start of last season, was leading the league in scoring for about the first month, uh, and then started to taper off here as just, in the end, the, the team talent shone through and and Anaheim couldn't generate a ton of wins. But he's a, he's an incredibly talented player that's going to continue to grow and, and is really exciting playing alongside t- uh, Trevor Zegras. So it's a, it's a nice little move here for the ducks to lock him up long-term as they can try to build out uh, the, the young core of this roster. Feels like we're many years away from getting excited about the Anaheim ducks, Mm -hmm. but maybe Uh years four to seven, that contract could really pay some dividends if the roster building gets up. And as the salary cap increases, uh, that could be a massive deal on a winger. It feels like the story of this off season has been a lot of wingers signed for maybe less than I would have guessed uh, long-term. Like I think about who went from uh, the Jets to the Kings. Dubois. Yeah, like he went for less than I thought, and there were one or two others as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, tell that to William Nylander. it, It makes me hopeful, but Nylander been a cut above in terms of production than all these guys and consistency. 
the fact that neither him nor Matthews have been signed at this point make me makes me very very anxious but it's the summer and i can't focus on that right now that's a whole podcast segment in and of itself and we're rolling through podcast segments right now onto the football fan cave fifa women's world cup still going yeah so uh play the violin for team canada women's they get pumped by the host nation australia four nil uh, who jumps them in the rankings, knocks them out of the tournament. It's a really disappointing result for a team that won the bronze medal the last time we saw them in highest level international competition at the Olympics. And so, or no, gold medal. Gold Sorry. medal. <laughs> yeah, what am I saying? Wow, I can't believe I just put disrespect on them like that. I am really hurting from this latest loss, and it's disappointing. And the theme of this Women's World Cup so far has been the staples being shaky. I believe mm-hmm. Brazil recently was knocked out and US has got... had two ties, eh? Yeah. Like they they move on, but not dominantly. No, no. And so uh I, I believe there are a couple other ones in there, but teams like South Africa, Jamaica are are advancing for the first time in their country's histories and I mean, it's overall great to see because it makes a more compelling tournament when you don't know the three teams that are going to be in the finals or or the semifinals. Um, And so the U.S., I think, will probably continue to improve as the tournament goes along. But it's been some exciting football. And unfortunately, Canada's on the wrong side of of the uh, line in terms of who's getting upset, who's not. Sorry to make you go back to back like this, but you've got another one listed and there's nothing else on the football side of things. Yeah, so baseball hasn't been covered much this summer. Uh, The trade deadline was yesterday. Notable transactions include the New York Mets becoming yard sailors. They send Scherzer to the Rangers and Verlander to the Houston Astros. Uh, Shocking move by them. Scherzer's going to be paid at least $20 million by three different teams next season. So he's cashing in. But yeah, disappointing stuff from the Mets. And then on the Blue Jays side, of course, they've been getting thwomped so far in their biggest series of the season against the Baltimore Orioles. 0-2 so far. They need to win these next two games or risk falling out of the playoff race. And, and they would have no shot at the division if they lose either of the next two games. So they go out and get Jordan Hicks from the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, an elite reliever to help stem the injury to Jordan Romano. And then just as Bo Bichette also getting injured, feels like the Jays had to make some moves for needs here in in the late going of the trade deadline. So with Bichette going on the 10-day IL uh, with a knee injury, they go out and get Paul DeYoung. Uh, also from the Cardinals, so a, a popular trade partner here for for Ross Atkins. And so they bring these two guys in, uh, both really solid frontline players. And now it's about culture and internal improvement. Like, who's going to step up? Because it, it, it's been good, but not good enough. And the best teams in the league run through the AL East as much as the other divisions hate to hear that 
and the Astros being a team who have run the American League for the last five, six, seven years, consistently in the regular season, it's been Tampa, New York, Boston, and now, of course, Baltimore at the top of that division. And the Yankees, who are last in the AL East, would be first place in the AL Central. Like, it's wow. just, it's a strong murderer's row of teams. And the Blue Jays, if they want to be considered as legitimate contenders, the first step is getting out of this division because uh, <laughs> they're they're barely hanging on. And so uh, lots needs to be seen in terms of internal improvement. They are not, I guess, acquiring Teoscar Hernandez to come back. I, I'm, I don't know how upset I am about that, but they did go and sacrifice some power this past year, and it, and the big bats haven't shone through with the same home run production. So they need timely hitting, and they need to stitch things together here, uh, in the late going and and make that final playoff push. How many games do we have left in the season, ballpark? No pun intended. <laughs> I think we're looking at around forty. If I'm, okay. if I'm right. just guessing off the top of my head. Plenty of time to check in on the MLB and other notes, but here we've got about six minutes to go on the pod, so I'm going to move things along to the combat corner. Or I'm going to start with boxing, oh, because that was the biggest headline of the past week for me. I I guess you're actually a good bellwether for this. Hmm. Is it... A ridiculous statement to say the Terrence Bud Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. hype was reaching Pacquiao Mayweather levels. No, not no. even close. Yeah, I didn't know who either of these guys. Like I had heard of the names, but I didn't yeah. really know who either of these guys were. Okay. In terms of hype, maybe not, but all other things the same. In two sure. killers who went through their division on different promotions, who called each other out for years. Uh, one of my boys, who's a way bigger boxing fan than myself, told me he's been wanting and hoping for this fight since 2018. Not as long for me, but when I've seen either guy in the ring, it's been clear they're a cut above the competition they're facing and seemed pretty likely that the only guy who can really challenge, really make you wonder, could this could Bud Crawford, could Errol Spence Jr. lose when they step in the ring was the other guy. So it was incredibly exciting to have them finally meet in the middle. And the Vegas odds more or less reflected that 50-50 sentiment, who's going to take it, um, which I think goes to that Pacquiao-Mayweather levels of like, these are both incredible athletes at what they do, who do things a different way and always find their way to victory. What's going to happen? And I would say that fight was a fizzle and a dud. This fight was an absolute beat-down clinic fireworks display from Terrence Bud Crawford, who answered all the haters, uh, came out and just had Errol Spencer Jr. dead to rights. I will get to UFC and see how much time we have to talk about it, but I had one eye on both screen. So it wasn't really to the third round of the boxing match that I like keyed in and really started looking and the fight was over by then. Oh, like Spence Jr. had already been knocked down once. He wasn't connecting on anything. He was reaching. Bud's footwork was impeccable. He chose to fight the entire time in Southpaw. He's a switch hitter, goes back and forth as needed. In this case, he just had it figured out with the Southpaw. Uh, 
he out job power jobbed the power jobber uh he made spence jr reach and flail and question himself uh and just had him overextending and countered him again and again and again credit to spence jr for getting hurt getting wobbled look like like he might be out of the fight early and resetting several times throughout the fights um the round's pretty conducive to that and spence jr a fighter likely without too too much at least brain damage the injuries and the car accident another story of course uh which i'm sure will be part of some narrative but like again and again, uh, Crawford came out facing like a fairly fresh looking guy and just took the rounds over. Um, it, it was just, inc- I was saying to my boy, like you go into these fights with these narratives and these preconceived things, and then you just feel stupid after the fight. And you're like, how did, if I'd known what I know then, and it's like, was I stupid? Like, were we just talking about the fight wrong? Or is it just like that crazy impressive? Um, So that's really why I wanted to highlight this fight that had been building for well over five years, had all this hype, had Vegas usually gets these things right. um, Just because there's so much money on the line that like, it's, it's gonna, if there's a profit to be made, because everyone's stupid, someone would be making it. Um, so to see that done is just incredible for what it's worth bud was my favorite i always prefer the more versatile more intelligent um styles of fighters uh, so i think this an incredible legacy moment for him and something that transcends him from one of the best in the world i, I don't know how you define an all-time great but like that's the level of performance that bud crawford put in so let's just give him his flowers I did watch the co-main and main events of the UFC fight night as well. Um, my bad calling the Jan Blahovic Alex Pereira a title fight. It wasn't. I thought Jamal Crawford or Jamal Hill had torn his Achilles and released the belt. Um, he might definitely tore his Achilles. I'm not sure what the status of the belt is. Most likely it will be Alex Pereira fighting for it next as he just looked inevitable against Ablahovic, who had the first seven and a half minutes of the fight go as almost as good as he could have hoped, dominating the first round with the grappling, surviving the next two and a half minutes on the feet, getting a takedown midway through that second round. But, but Pereira makes reverses the momentum and makes the weakness a strength. The fight happening at Salt Lake City, definitely not to Blahovich's favor. He was gassed, and I think he should be really glad it wasn't going to be five rounds because four and five would have been ugly. Gaethje, boom, headshot, Poirier, dead. I hate the state of the lightweight division. I don't want to see Oliveira fight Islam. I don't want to see Gaethje fight Islam. It is what it is. Sucks to suck. That's all the time we got for this podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh, been a pleasure as always. Sports Next Door, signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey, man, this ain't no fishing town. Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't all.